Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Monday. It's May 15th. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend and ready to go for the week. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Plenty of local news, NBA playoffs. We know that the Lakers and the Nuggets will be facing off against one another in the Western Conference Finals over in the East. It's going to be the Heat and the Celtics. So plenty to dive into in regards to the NBA playoffs as well. But let's first get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question in regards to the biggest news happening locally with the Phoenix Suns. Should the Suns have fired Monty Williams? And right now we are in a 50-50 split with the masses. Uh, Yes and no. Yeah, Williams uh, won almost 64% of his games, but obviously the last three postseason conclusions, whether it be the uh, finals in 2021 against the Bucs, whether it be last year losing at home and losing by a million to the Mavericks, and then losing this year, not game seven, but game six at home, and losing by a million to the Nuggets. I'm guessing that uh, the three in the conclusions of those seasons played a role, a big role, if not the, the biggest role in his departure. We'll certainly get into this here shortly. We'll also take your calls today. I'm sure you have plenty of opinions on it. 10:30 and 11:15-602-260-1060 is the time and opportunity for that. Flipping on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Should the Suns have also fired President of Basketball Operations James Jones as it is right now? And by uh, several different reporting accounts, uh, James Jones's job as President of Basketball Operations is not in jeopardy. The masses, though, are on the yes side of things at 81. 1.3%, no trailing at 18.8%. Well, I think it's been just, at least I assumed, as soon as I saw the Suns press release, you know, it was reported by the insiders uh, before the Suns officially sent out a press release that Williams was you know, fired. But, quote, the only person quoted in the press release was James Jones. So, yeah, I would I made, I made, immediately assume that he's in no danger if you're quoting the – you know, president of basketball operations and your coach has been fired. Uh, so speaking of that, let's get into the quote there from Saturday evening in regards to the Suns parting ways with head coach Monty Williams. Uh, the official team statement there, Monty has been foundational to our success over the past four seasons, said James Jones. We are filled with gratitude for everything Monty has contributed to the Suns and to the Valley community. Let's take a look, though, at a second at uh, the records and accolades for Monty Williams and his time with the Suns. He was here 2019 
2023. He was NBA Coach of the Year in 2022, NBCA Coach of the Year 2021 and 2022. So when you look at where things have come from with Monty Williams, that first season, 2019-2020, they had a 34-39 and record. 2020-2021, uh, 51-21, and they lost in the NBA Finals. 2021-2022, 64-18, and that was the best Suns record lost in the conference semis. And then this season, 2022-2023, 45-37, lost in the conference semifinals. Overall with the Suns, a 194-115 to record. So that's just some of the accomplishments of, in Monty's time here. Yeah, you mentioned the first year, 34 and 39. That's after, you know, almost a decade of just being completely dreadful and disappointing and bad and, you know, really just, uh, you know, the worst decade in franchise history, quite frankly. They're at least the worst 10 year span, not exactly a decade compact from start to finish of a decade, but you get the gist, hopefully. Uh, hopefully, I'm not confusing people too much here, but. You know, the fact that uh, they won 34 games that first year it was here was uh, quite a transformation for what we had seen in previous years with uh, several coaches who were completely in over their head and shouldn't have been head coaches, at least a couple of those guys that have never been a head coach since, and I'm guessing they won't be. Uh, so you know, what they what he accomplished that first year, yeah, Ricky. You mentioned Ricky Rubio last week, and he's kind of the forgotten guy here. Is uh, yeah, he was. Uh, in fact, the Suns introduced him uh, as uh, you know their their new acquisition in the offseason. He did that during the summer league one year in Las Vegas, and I was actually at the summer league in Las Vegas and went to that press conference, and uh, you know I think that he was kind of the one key performer. Yeah, Booker was you know very young in those days, what nineteen or whatever, eight, nine, nineteen, twenty years old. Uh, but uh, I think the Rubio uh, had a lot to do with uh, the uh, the quick turnaround that first year that Williams was the head coach here, and Williams certainly uh, in, instilled a different culture and some clue of how to coach as opposed to what we had seen in some of the previous seasons. Yes, definitely. Culture shift here was very evident from the beginning, and there's a few Monteisms that uh, still I find myself thinking about from time to time. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, before yesterday's game, was reporting uh, several different things about this Sun situation. But according to Woj's reporting, uh, he's told that Matt Ishbia never really took to Monty Williams. That was his phrasing there. Uh, Woj then went on to say that in the way that he worked. It to me comes across that Ishbia is the one that largely negotiated the Kevin Durant trade. Uh, in addition to that, he goes on to say that Matt Ishbia is effectively overseeing and running basketball operations and that James Jones's influence has been diminished. Also, a uh, quote from Adrian Wojnarowski there is, this is a Matt Ishbia production right now. You know, oftentimes, whether it's sports, whether it's business, whether it's a merger, et cetera, you see the, the new ownership group or you see the new management team come in and want to put their stamp on things. They want to make changes. They want to uh, get their, quote, unquote, their guys involved. So from one perspective here it's not overly surprising that this took place true and if i remember my my uh, chronology correctly here 
you know, remember they, they, they it was announced, it wasn't announced, it was reported that you know, the Durant trade occurred like 11 o'clock on like a Thursday night, the day before the trade deadline. And if I remember correctly, Williams was asleep and didn't even know about it. Yeah, he found out from somebody from the media, like, you know, that they had traded, you know, for Kevin Durant. Uh, so maybe that should have been a telltale sign that, you know, things weren't, uh, you, know, you know, completely on board between those two guys. And, uh, you know, the Isaiah Thomas stuff still out there. And, you know, I guess somebody sent me actually a you know, copy of the tweet that Isaiah was shocked that Williams was fired, which I just think that's complete crap. He had to know what's going on there. Yeah, Shams is reporting here that Isaiah Thomas is not going to have an official role with the team, but any time that this ends up getting reported, there's always the right now at the end of every single sentence. So it's leaving the door <laughs> open that uh, something could potentially happen in the future, but it also leaves you to think that certainly he has the ear of Matt Ishbia, and Ishbia is certainly relying on him and, and a confident here, a confidant. Uh, so if you do believe this reporting, you believe Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that Matt Ishbia has become uh, has come in with a lot of decisions and is taking a very hands-on approach. It, it's fascinating in general I was thinking about different ownership groups no matter what the sports league is that has an owner that's so heavily involved and so part of the day-to-day and uh, is basically the last voice in the room there and whether or not those franchises goes on go on to have success or whether or not they kind of uh, stumble around for a little while I'm guessing it's kind of a hit or miss proposition. I mean, I'll have a list in my brain or, you know, my sheet of paper here or my notepad in front of me that has, you know, the you know, the pros and cons of that. But, you know, there certainly have been some owners that have, have been hands-on that, have, that things worked out pretty well. And there's been some others that haven't worked out very well. There's also been some owners that, and I understand to some extent, the owners, uh, you know, viewpoint here because they invested millions of dollars in, uh, in, into their franchise and, uh, and so forth. So I get that part. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it's interesting when you actually have an owner that's, uh, you know, lets the people that they hire uh, or, you know, he's, the owners are certainly in charge of who's running the organization. It's, uh, you know, I, I think I probably find it most uh um, commendable when uh, an owner actually lets people do the job that they've been hired to do. You know, we talked about this a little bit here when it comes to on the court, and we talked about it today. We've talked about it last week that, you know, Monty deserves a ton of credit for being a part of turning this Suns team around. And, uh, you know, you look at the 2015-2016 season, 23-59, and 2016-2017, and 24-58, and 2017-2018 season, 21-61, and 2018-2019, and 19-63. And now you look at him and this Suns team NBA finals lost in the conference semifinals lost in the conference semifinals but you 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 have a a product on the court that was fun to watch and as a fan base you were excited about the potential for them I think in my mind the question then becomes do you believe that Monty is the coach to get the team to that next level obviously we've seen what he's been able to do turning the team around the pieces that were on the court now it's that very 
next level because the game, you talk about this a lot, changes a lot from the regular season to the playoffs. So can he Mm -hmm. be that guy to turn it up yet another notch? Because one of the things that kind of stands out to me that I thought a lot about over the weekend is that in these playoff series for the Suns, we often see the other team dictate what and how the game is going to be played. Never is it really that the Suns come out and dictate their style of play. It's always kind of reactionary to what the other team is doing. I don't know if you agree with that sentiment or not. No, I think that's fair, but also, you know, you know not a big pushback here, but you know, kind of maybe, you know, patting you on the shoulder as opposed to pushing. Uh, that, you know, the personnel, I think, has a lot to do with that, too. And, I don't know how many, you know, really, you know, fiery players, quite frankly, the Suns have, and that's more of a front office thing. Even though Williams has certainly had a say in some of the acquisitions in the off seasons uh, the last few years. The other thing about this, it took like 10 seconds before it was you know, somebody reported that he's, you know, you know, in the running for the Milwaukee Bucks job and, I know there's a report this morning that he's like they're really pushing for him to be some people in that organization pushing for him to be the next Bucks coach and he's not going to be if he wants to have an NBA head coaching job next season he will have an NBA head coaching job next season. Uh, The next thing that I thought about here, too, that maybe was the question and leads into some of the playoff conversation is, you know, rotations. And I thought a lot about when we had Doug Haller on uh, from The Athletic on Friday talking about how the acquisition for for Kevin Durant was made and there was some time. I know that he was missing time, but trying to figure out some of the other rotational pieces and how it never really seemed to get set before the end of the regular season. And then the playoffs, there was still lots of changes to the rotation and in-game tactical moves. I don't know if that's as big of a factor or if we're just making it a factor. Yeah, I think we're maybe making it a factor. I think that, uh, you know, we've certainly talked a lot in the last, what, you know, almost two months, I guess it is, or pretty close to it, that, uh, you know, they, they just don't have very many good players, quite frankly. And, you know, the old chicken salad out of chicken whatever, uh, you know, kind of hard to improve that. Um, you know, they just don't have – they didn't have very many good players. And, you know, I think a lot of people and media people and especially fans, I think their biggest uh, – the toughest thing for them to accept is that they just lost to a team that is better than they are. And clearly the Nuggets have a better roster right now than the Suns do. They have more good players than the Suns. Yes, they do, and they're healthy this time around as well. Uh, True. On the other side, though, let's take a look at some of the names that have been linked already to the Phoenix Suns, and we'll dive into them, their accomplishments, and whether or not we think that they would be a good fit for the Suns moving forward. Obviously, I think we've been talking a lot about it here that uh, Matt Ishbia is a wild card. We don't exactly know what to expect from him, but I think maybe with the, the Kevin Durant trade, with the dismissal of Monty Williams, is that he's not afraid to go big and he's not afraid to maybe do something that's quote-unquote unpopular i think that's very fair uh and i know it's been a short sample size i hate that term but i don't know what else to say because we're up against it (laughs) but uh it's short samples he's certainly shown that uh you know that approach in a short period of time 
We'll get into those coaching candidates to replace Monty Williams on the other side. It is the extra point on this Monday, May 15th, here on KDOS AM 1060. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. 10:23 here on KDUS AM 1060. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Furthering the Suns' conversation in regards to the dismissal of Monty Williams over the weekend here. Of course, immediately coaching candidates to replace him have been introduced. And I thought we could go through some of the names here and see if we think they're a good fit, bad fit, indifferent fit. We'll we'll make a determination here. Uh, But I thought the first one was most surprising just because he's still under contract. And his name being Ty Lue, he's surfacing everywhere. Uh, He's still in Employed by the Clippers and uh, this has been kind of interesting here as well because who who's leaking this like from a standpoint of is this maybe Ty Lue knowing that the Clippers aren't interested in him so uh, to to be committed to him long term so kind of floating his name out there is it the Clippers maybe seeing what they could get in return for Ty Lue uh, because it would have to be a trade since he's still under contract so I do think that's interesting here uh, when it comes to Ty Lue and his credentials won the NBA championship in 2016 with the Cavs with his time in LA as the head coach 2020 2021 47 and 25 2021 2022 42 and 40 2022 and 2023 44 and 38 but of course you've had intermittent play between uh Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and I don't know if you agree with this sentiment here I was under the assumption that maybe Ty Lue couldn't coach and it was just LeBron James back in Cleveland but uh that was wrong Ty Lue can coach Agree with all that, and this I don't think this is terribly surprising, partly because I listened to Lou's press conference after the Suns eliminated the Clippers, and he was asked in various um, shapes or form, and forms whether he'd be back next year. He had a really a, a rough season. He had you know, a couple of family members or friends, I didn't hear exactly who, uh, that died during this past season, and he didn't leave the team at all because you know they needed to win games and la di da, and uh, and so forth. So th- there was serious speculation as soon as their season ended that he wouldn't be back next season with the Clippers. So I think that's kind of where started some of this. You know, just kind of a background of you know why his name's out there. Yeah, his name's also been mentioned for the Milwaukee Bucks job that we talked about in the last segment with Monty Williams being mentioned for that job too. Uh, yes. So that's, you know, kind of an interesting candidate there. Would you think, you know, just from seeing him, obviously we had uh, a Clippers series last year. We had a Clippers series this year with the Suns. So seeing some of those tactical moves take place, uh, you know, would you, would you like to have Ty Lue here as the coach? Yeah, well, it depends. If I had like a, you know, give me a list of candidates and, you know, who am I going to choose? He would certainly be on the list for sure. Uh, I was actually much more impressed with him a couple of years ago than I was this past year uh, because I, like, the, the series against the Suns, he just had, you know, I don't think that was almost just an act of desperation. 
who actually played in that series because he was out of guys. <laughs> so I mean, they just basically had the six, you know, pretty much, I think, you know, it was a whole three weeks ago or whatever, but it seemed like the same six or seven guys just played a ton of minutes and that's all he had at that point. But in past postseasons and regular seasons, I was more impressed uh, because he had options and seemed to make the right moves. Nick Nurse, he's another candidate here. Great defensive coach. Uh, he does some struggle at times with maybe some offensive sets, half-court game. I don't know if we should make anything into this, right? Like, everyone thought he was leaving Toronto and that it was going to be Nick Nurse to the Houston Rockets, and then that didn't happen. So why didn't it happen, and should we be at all concerned about that? There are uh, some people in the NBA that are not exactly uh, completely enamored with Nick Nurse. One of those is our you know frequent guest in the uh, in the Sports Zone, Mo DeKeel, uh, who has been critical more than once in uh, you know, various forms. Uh, you know Mo's uh, you know podcasting or social media or whatever, uh, and I've heard others that uh, yeah that just wonder if he just didn't kind of uh, you know. The, the, the Kawhi Leonard championship year, whether that was far more Kawhi than it was really anything Nick Nurse did. And uh, you remember Nurse was there for some of the failures in Toronto previously and obviously passed. You know, the, the, he wasn't the head coach, the previous failures. That was a Dwayne Casey thing. Uh, but, you know, so not everybody's in on Nick Nurse and, I know that he definitely turned a lot of people off just the way that, you know, he kind of, I don't think he handled his final days in Toronto particularly well. And we knew for weeks, it seemed like that he was going to be leaving Toronto. Mike Budenholzer, uh, Budenholzer, he's certainly known for scheming up a great defense, uh, which that is something that has eluded the Suns here. Uh, he does get high volume value out of the shots that they they take as a team. Uh, he's not known though as a great adjuster in the playoffs or an in-game coach. Obviously, here beat the Suns in that 2021 NBA Finals and has some connections here to Arizona. I don't know if those connections to Arizona really matter to. Uh, Matt Ishbia here, but what do you think about Budenholzer? Um, I think he's a good regular season coach, and he's underachieved, whether it be in Atlanta. Uh, remember, people forget about Atlanta. You know, he lost his, uh, the better seed more times, than, you know, a couple of times at least, when he was the Atlanta head coach, and needless to that, it's happened in Milwaukee. Uh, I think he's just a horrendous postseason coach. And I'm not buying this great defensive thing either. I mean, he's had incredible defensive players uh, on his teams, especially Milwaukee. And it seems like he doesn't make adjustments during the postseason. And almost always it's because the defense wasn't as good as it was supposed to be. Frank Vogel, uh, I guess we're sticking with the defensive mindset here, uh, does struggle there with some half-court offense, but obviously won a championship in the bubble with the Lakers. And we haven't really heard his name a whole lot, but it's starting to float back out again. Yeah, I don't understand this one at all. Um, yeah, I know the, you know the Lakers' success, but I will never forget when he was the coach of the Pacers. And uh, he completely lost a, you know, you know, seven game series against the heat when the heat still had LeBron, uh, you know, his substitutions were just inexplicable. And, uh, that's why they lost that series. And 
Maybe I'm just, uh, you know, I should have a larger sample of my examples there, but that was so bad and just, uh, you know, malpractice coaching, uh, in my opinion, as a head coach. And I wasn't the only one that thought that, but uh, in my opinion, he almost single-handedly lost that series when they should have won. Then there's uh, talks about Kevin Young, who's currently on the staff with the Suns. Uh, recent success of assistance may be becoming a trend here if they want to go that direction, but that would be obviously inexperienced at the head coach level. I don't understand that idea at all. So I mean, I don't even I don't know Kevin Young. I really don't know that much about Kevin Young. That's my bad. But I would think that that would be. Um, it would look like the first thing I think of is if he's the next Suns head coach, they got turned down by others. And then I know you're just going to have a field day with this name that's been floated out. Tom Izzo, obviously Matt Ishbia has played for Izzo at Michigan State. Does Izzo want to leave the college game because of NIL deals? Would he translate well to the NBA? Yeah, the NIL thing is interesting because he's turned down many NBA jobs. I can think of the Pistons and the Cavaliers specifically. Uh, and, and if I remember the Cavaliers, you know, LeBron was still there at that time. Uh, so at that time, he certainly preferred the college game. Uh, but he's had opportunities to uh, to leave at least twice that I'm aware of. And you know, who knows? Uh, you sometimes find out years later that they had had other opportunities. Remember, we found out what a, like how long, long after the fact that you know, Mike Shashevsky turned down a job with the Lakers when Kobe was still there. Yeah, it would kind of also be interesting, too, because you mentioned how he turned down that job with Cleveland. Well, the owner there is Dan Gilbert, and uh, Matt Ishbia and Dan Gilbert are in direct competition with their businesses that make them all the money. I did not know that. Yes, the mortgage lending operations. Uh, So from from this standpoint, going through this this list of names here – I'm getting the sense here that you absolutely want a coach that has NBA head coaching experience to lead the way here. Does having an NBA title matter to you as well? Oh, probably not. Uh, It doesn't hurt. Um, But I don't think that, you know, other than, you know, Ty Lue, I think, is the best guy that's been mentioned here. Uh, but once again, as I mentioned, uh, it wasn't because of what I saw last last month. It's the fact that you know, I thought he was a better. He did, did. I would imagine Lou would even tell you he did better coaching jobs previously to this year, and especially this year in the playoffs. Because as I mentioned, I mean he only had X number of dudes, so you got to put the guys out there that you have. <laughs> Uh, we'll take your calls, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to join the program, we'll take those now, get to you on the other side of the break, 602-260-1060. We'll stick with uh, the NBA Suns conversation. If you'd like to dive into it, we'll also transition to some Arizona Diamondbacks as they took three of four over the Giants to conclude their 10-game homestand. So plenty of things to get into, 602-260-1060, if you'd like to join the show. It is the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 
1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Right now, Superbook Sports offering up that $100 gift certificate. So download the app, register, and follow along for your chance to gain an entry and potentially be the winner. Uh, more Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 is next. Interact with Bob Kim's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Priceless off-air conversation. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays. Go see, go see Sting, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It is the Extra Point KDOS AM 1060. If you'd like to join, 602-260-1060 is the number. Uh, so we'll take a pause from the NBA and the Suns conversation here for a moment and get into the Diamondbacks. As I mentioned, heading to break, 3 of 4 over the Giants to conclude the 10-game homestand. Let's first start with Zach Allen's start on Saturday. It was a 7-2 win for the Diamondbacks, 7-2. and thirds innings pitched five hits two runs two walks and six strikeouts for gallon speaking of seven and two there's seven and two in his nine starts this season so you can do the math and figure out what there are in the non-zach gallon starts this year they're 23 and 18 overall so they're under 500 when he does not start uh, but that was a very important uh, outing for them uh, they obviously had some not good, good, uh, not good pitching performances, starting rotation performances before that, including Friday night when Ryan Nelson uh, was hit very hard. He's extremely fortunate. He only gave up four runs and the seven hits and a walk over four and thirds innings. Once again, he had four strikeouts, and that's okay. But you just have too many starting pitchers that are not getting enough swings and misses for the most part. The good news is yesterday, Brandon Fott made it through five innings, allowed one run. That was on a home run, so he's now allowed seven home runs in his three starts, but he did make it through five innings, and uh, only the one run, and that was a Conforto homer. Had five strikeouts, struck out the side in the first inning. Did have three walks. I'm sure the Diamondbacks are at least somewhat encouraged. I think they should be somewhat encouraged. But if people are out there thinking, whoa, they figured out Brandon fought, I think that that's way too strong a statement. Yeah, so to your point, fought five innings pitched, one hit, one run, three walks, five uh, strikeouts. So for, for you, after there was so much anticipation for him getting his major league uh, starts here and how uh, it was that, what was it, the game against the Cardinals? It was definitely a, a, an a, a morning game because it was happening live while we were on air. and every, The Rangers. There we go. Every Texas. ball yeah. was just being uh, completely rocketed out of the ballpark or uh, really hard hit 
balls. Right. Uh, even even the outs were rockets. Yeah. Uh, so just yeah. kind of seeing that performance and then how the next couple of starts have unfolded, you know, is this obviously what you wanted to see a trend in the good direction or should we just be cautiously optimistic that he's starting to figure out how to pitch in the majors? I'm going to go somewhere in between there, I think. Uh, you know, it's certainly cautiously optimistic. I can buy that. But I am far convinced from convinced that you know, he's figured something out here. Um, I need to see more. His next start is going to be against Pittsburgh. And after their unexpected and surprising hot start, Pittsburgh has just been atrocious lately, especially their offense. They've lost 11 of their last 13 games now. And uh, so I'm not sure if he comes out and pitches well against the Pirates. I'm sure people will be would some put him in, be you know when are they going to put him in Cooperstown at that point? Uh, but I've never I you know, saw him pitch a little bit in spring training, and then obviously his first three starts I'm not completely understandable as to what the big deal is here. And there are a lot of people, um, especially. In the fantasy world, the metrics world, I think he's the next great pitcher of our time. Uh, the Diamondbacks, they are on the road taking on the A's, 6.40 p.m. tonight. It's going to be a Merrill Kelly start 3-3, three and 3.18 3. ERA, 46 strikeouts uh, for the Diamondbacks tonight. Okay, I'll add two more things from the Diamondbacks weekend. First, Joe Montiply, who has been their best relief pitcher the past two seasons. Uh, he returned to the injured list for a second time this year. This time he has right hamstring tightness, and that bullpen is a mess. And he's the one guy that I would have some faith in uh, to get people out. Uh, this year he has a 235 run average, a 0.52 whip. He was really good last season. You know, every team has to have an all-star representative, so he was the Diamondbacks all-star representative a year ago. But he got overused and really worn down at the end of the season. Uh, so, you know, I, I wouldn't take his, you know, numbers in whole uh, from last year and, and judge that on his season. He was much better than his final numbers led it, led you to believe. And then the, I think the best thing that's happened to the Diamondbacks the last two weeks, and I don't think this is an arguable point, is that Dominic Fletcher, this dude is really good. Uh, I mean, you know, I, he's a really good outfielder. That's the one thing that I don't think is going to go into a slump. Uh, and they've got plenty of good outfielders, but he needs to be playing every day and has been. And he's been up for two weeks now. He's had 46 plate appearances. He's hitting 429 with two homers and 13 runs batted in. He has uh, six extra base hits in those 46 plate appearances. He appears to be, and I know it's you know, two weeks, but he appears to be you know, a, a legitimate major league player. And they've got kind of a glut of outfielders now, and they've got some really good outfielders. Alec Thomas can't hit, but he can play center field. Uh, and you know, needless to say, Corbin Carroll is a, you know going to be you know they signed him to a long-term contract before the season even started, which seems to be a wise idea now. But you know, it's interesting if they're going to try to add, they're going to have to add some starting pitching at some point because it's clearly not from this organization, at least for this year. I don't think they're going to get any, uh, nobody can come in, you know, nobody's coming up from AAA and going to be a difference maker. They could obviously use some bullpen help. However, the market's going to be really tough because there's not that many starting pitchers that are any good. They're going to be available at the trade deadline. 
And the market's going to be difficult for relief pitchers because there are a lot of contending teams that need bullpen help. Uh, so if they're going to get somebody via trade, whether it be a starter or a reliever, they're going to have to give up something. And I would assume if I were a team talking to the Diamondbacks about a trade, they I would immediately start asking about some of the outfielders that they have at the major league level. Away from the Diamondbacks for the weekend, there was a key series in the NL West for the Dodgers and the Padres, and the Dodgers swept the Padres. It included a 4 to nothing victory on Sunday. Tony Gonsolin, five innings pitched, two hits, one walk, six strikeouts. Uh, pitching continues to be an issue for the Padres, but so too the bats. Uh, isn't this supposed to be a power lineup that strikes fear into pitchers? They're not striking fear into pitchers. They're not striking fear into anybody except for Bob Melvin uh, these days who uh, kind of lost his mind last week or definitely, especially for Bob Melvin, who's usually a, uh, you know, even-keeled, uh, objective person. And you know, he just lost it last week. Uh, the Padres have scored three runs or less in 18 of their 41 games this season including all three games over the weekend against the Dodgers. They've got some uh, lineup holes that are pretty bad, and I'm not sure that some of those lineup holes are going to get better. You know, Tatis has been tremendous since he came back. He's leading off. I wonder if they might move him down the lineup and put him in a run-producing situation. Manny Machado's off to a bad start. I don't expect that to continue. Juan Soto has actually been a little bit better lately. But he really hasn't been particularly good for two years now. If you go back to the Washington start of last year and then when he got traded to San Diego. So I'm not sure what I think of him because I thought he was like one of the greatest young players I've ever seen uh, when he was like 19 and 20 years old. Maybe that's different. But, you know, the Cronenworth. Uh, you know, the Carpenter, uh, God forbid, Nelson Cruz, who's like 100 years old. Uh, they spent a lot of money on those guys, and none of those guys are doing anything. And I'm not sure those guys are going to get a whole lot better. A look at the NL West. You have the Dodgers sitting atop of the standings, 26 and 15. The Diamondbacks, 23 and 18. Then the Padres sitting at 19 and 22. The Giants, 17 and 23. And the Rockies at 17 and 24. All right. So the Rays and the Yankees split the series uh, for for their contest. Uh, so therefore, things in the AL East. You have the Rays atop, 31 and 11. Orioles, 26 and 14. The Blue Jays, 24 and 16. Yankees, 23 and 19 and the Red Sox at 22 and 19. The Rays are, yeah, I've mentioned for weeks now, it seems like that they're running out of pitchers. And the Drew Rasmussen news from Friday, yeah, on Thursday night, he pitched seven scoreless innings against the Yankees and just totally dominated. On Friday, he was placed on this on the 60-day injured list with a you know, forearm injury. This is a guy that's already had two Tommy John surgeries in his career, at least one of those when he was, I think he was at Oregon State, but he was in college. And I, maybe both of them were he was in college. But, yeah, he's already, as I mentioned, he's already had two Chami John surgeries. Anytime I hear a forearm injury for a pitcher, I just, you know, I'm shaking right now when I'm talking about it. Uh, so that's terrible. They've obviously lost, they already lost Jeffrey Springs for the season to Tommy John surgery. You know they've got you know you know, the, you know the, they've got other pitchers who were supposed to be back from injury by now or not. 
Uh, got, they got some serious starting pitching issues. They had to use openers in three games last week because they just don't have enough starting pitchers right now. Uh, the Yankees will be going up against the Blue Jays today. Last I saw, the Yankees had yet to determine who their starting pitcher is going to be, but for the Blue Jays, it'll be Alec Manoa, 1-3, 4.83 ERA, 32 strikeouts so far this season. And he's been bad. Um, you know, he has really fallen off the map. There's, uh, you know, I know there's some speculation uh, throughout the media world and the fantasy world that he's just basically, I'm going to be very blunt here, too fat uh, to deal with the pitch clock. He's out of shape. And clearly his numbers are way down. And uh, there's a lot of people that believe the pitch clock and his uh, stamina or lack thereof is a big reason why. The other game here that caught my attention, the Braves and the Rangers. I didn't see a pitcher for the Rangers, but Charlie Morton going for the Braves. Four and three, 3.32 ERA, 39 strikeouts. Well, the Braves need to win pretty much every game Morton starts these days because they're literally drowned to their AAA pitching staff at this point, starting rotation. You know, they've lost you know, Freed and Wright. And Soroka is still not back from his, you know, I'm not expecting him you know, to be great, but, I mean, if he's okay, that'd be better than what they have right now. Soroka's had Achilles injuries the last two seasons and hasn't pitched. I don't know when the last time he even pitched in a major league game was. But it's been, uh, I think, 2021. Uh, but, you know, the, the Braves are a mess. And the Braves and the Blue Jays, uh, for two teams that are supposed to be good, played some of the worst baseball you have ever seen in your life this past weekend when they played a series in Toronto. Uh, both teams you know, played poor defense. A little surprised the Braves played poor defense, but they did. Uh, the base running was atrocious from both teams. Not surprised Toronto is poor in running the bases or defensively because they just lack attention to detail which is a little surprising because some of the guys that lack attention to detail are the guys that grew up with their fathers being stud major league players. They should know how to play the game, but apparently they weren't paying attention. AT&T Byron Nelson is in the books, and we turn our attention to Oak Hill for the PGA Championship. We'll have a little golf conversation on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point. Check out KDUSAM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7, channel number two. Final segment of hour number one right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Uh, let's dive a little bit into the PGA Tour. AT&T, Byron Nelson. We had told you this was going to be a birdie fest, and a birdie fest it was. Jason Day wins the event 23 under par. He shot a final round 62 to get it done. But huge congratulations here to Jason Day, a winner again after five season th seasons, 13 career PGA Tour wins, and he was well on his way to being a name that we would all know in the record books but uh, injuries just really derailed his career uh, he deals with constantly bouts of vertigo as well so just getting him uh, himself ready to go and play each and every round of golf is truly uh, amazing for him so congratulations to him 
getting a victory. It's in some ways, I guess it's the the AT&T portion of things because the AT&T Pebble Beach Tournament, uh, you turned back the clock, Justin Rose won. Now the AT&T Byron Nelson, you turned back the clock and Jason Day gets a win. Siwoo Kim, Austin Eck wrote, uh, they finished in a tie for second at 22 under par. Scotty Scheffler, he was the odds on favorite, if you remember, plus like after Jordan Spieth withdrew, it was like plus 350 for him to win the event. He finished in a tie for fifth at 20 under par. Scotty Scheffler continues to hit the ball great. He gained 4.15 strokes off the tee, gained 10.57 strokes tee to green, and he gained 0.07 strokes putting. Putting is still the issue for him. So when you're looking ahead to the PGA Championship, do you believe that his putter putter will turn itself around at the PGA Championship? Or do you believe that the event is going to be so tough that ball striking is going to be key that if he stays at 0.07 strokes putting, you know, not really losing strokes, he can go ahead and win. So those are some question marks that you have to try to answer for yourself heading into this week. As I mentioned, it is the year's second major the PGA Championship from Oak Hill Country Club. It's a Donald Ross design, 7,349 yards. It's a par 70. Sean McKeel won this in 2003 at Oak Hill. Jason Duffner won it in 2013 here at Oak Hill. But after that contested major, Oak Hill has gone through a big restoration, some renovations as well, and it's going to play very different than 10 years ago. You know, when we were discussing the Masters and trying to figure out who we think is going to win, you have course history because it's always played at Augusta National. You don't have course history really here for a PGA event or the U.S. Open or uh, the Open Championship because it's in a rotational basis. So you really have to kind of figure out, you know, what we think is going to happen, how the course is going to be set up, how is it going to be played, and who kind of game heading into this week matches up really well for it. Justin Thomas, he's the defending PGA championship. His odds are at 24 to 1. Rom and Scheffler right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook app are plus 750 to get it done. We'll dive into this much more for the PGA championship this week, and Alex Myers of Golf Digest is set to join us as well on Wednesday at 11.15. So looking forward to Alex's perspective this week also. That'll do it for hour one. Hour number two is coming up next. We have plenty more NBA playoff conversation as well as your calls. If you'd like to join the show, 602-260-1060 around 1115. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060.